Welcome to episode five, My Words, Our Journey. I want to thank you for coming back for another episode. My name is Monty, and as you'll remember, when we left off last time, we left with Miles and Yankee fans 7667 in the park. Let's continue the journey with chapter 11. Kenny and Leonard had just arrived at the home of William Hollow, who they had learned was also known online as Space Lover 2310 and was the latest victim of the Defender of Children. Just as they were opening their car doors, a peculiar call came over the radio reporting an incident that needed immediate attention in one of the parks just off the college campus. The dispatcher said only that several witnesses had called 911 regarding two men and a possible attack on one of the trails leading out of the park. One caller had mentioned screaming and that both men had run into the woods on foot. Leonard was about to step out of the car when Kenny spoke. I don't know why, but let's hit the park real quick and see what's going on. Leonard barely got both feet back into the vehicle before it started to move with lights and siren in full force. A gut feeling? Leonard asked as he secured his seatbelt for the ride. It's probably nothing, but the combination of two men and a possible attack grabs my attention. Kenny replied as he picked up the radio to verify the entrance location. Leonard knew a shortcut to get them there quickly. There were two patrol calls, cars already on the way to the scene, and the dispatcher sounded perplexed as to why these two would be headed there as well. Leonard was wondering the same thing. Nothing he had heard had led him to believe that their presence was necessary at the park. Nevertheless, he kept the sauce to himself. He and his partner had not been long enough together long enough for him to reveal his criticism. Besides, change of pace may do him some good. To divert his attention from the ridiculous breakneck speed at which Kenny was driving, Leonard let his mind wander to his daughter, ex-wife, and the bizarre dreams he'd been having. He realized they had changed as of late, that they occurred more frequently and were becoming longer and more vivid, although he could not remember every detail. Had the changes come around the time of this new case? Yes, they had, he thought. The, real the realization scared him. Chapter 12. Miles reached his bike without incident and was starting to believe in himself again and his ability to get away. The feeling didn't last long, though. After making his way to the clearing, Miles was met with shouts from the farthest end of the trail. He could see several people blocking the entrance, and, although he could not understand what they were saying, he was fully aware that they were shouting at him. With blood on his shirt and pants from the predator's wounds, the words did not matter to Miles. He had to get away. So he turned his bike around and, as fast as his tired leg would allow, headed towards the south parking lot. He felt like he was moving in slow motion despite the energy he was exerting. The entrance at the other end of the path was clear for him, and the sirens were not upon him yet. But Miles knew there was no way he could relax, not even for a second. Every muscle in his body ached, and his head was throbbing with pain and frustration of what had happened. He was carrying out a noble mission and did not understand why he was being given such a hard time by the powers that be. Entering the pathway in front of him was a family of three, mother, father, and young child in a stroller, laughing and carrying on with one another. They seemed not to have a care in the world and appeared oblivious to the biker wearing bloody clothes. Miles lowered his head to avoid eye contact with them as he passed. As he rounded the turn, he saw the man glance in his direction and then quickly turned to his wife and child, pulling them close. Good man, Miles thought. By now, Miles had a crowd running after him. 
to his advantage, the happy family could not construe what the crowd was yelling about and made no effort to impede his escape. Miles did not need or want any other confrontations. He just wanted, he needed to get home for the children. A cool breeze hit him as soon as he cleared the wooded area. As he looked around for a sign as which direction to head, he could hear the sirens getting closer, and now they sounded as if they were about to come from all directions. Miles had to make a split decision. He had to figure out what to do, and quick. Remembering the items he had taken from the Predator, he pulled from his pocket a key with a Honda logo on it. He jumped back on his bike and wheeled himself toward the only Honda in the lot, a late model element that was parked along, uh, that was parked alone beneath a large shade tree. Miles hit the remote entry button on the keychain and heard the locks on the doors and back hatch release. Hastily tossing the duffel and the bike into the rear, he thought, thank goodness for SUVs. As he was about to release the emergency brake and shift into gear, the sirens became louder, so loud that they sounded like they could be right outside the element. Miles ducked low in the seat and waited to see what would happen. Two cars entered the parking lot, one behind the other, and drove right up to the path entrance. One was a standard police car, while the other appeared to be an unmarked car. The cops climbed out and headed toward the crowd that had now made its way to the parking lot. It was now or never, Miles thought. Slowly, Miles put the vehicle in gear, released the emergency brake, and headed toward the only exit and his only hope for escape. He was going to make it. He could feel it. And he was going to flee before the crowd could explain to the police what was happening. The powers that be had just played a cruel joke on him, but they'd let him get away. This time. As soon as he pulled out into the narrow road, that would take him from the parking lot to the main road leading back to the college campus. A Toyota Celica traveling at a reckless speed instantly appeared and plowed its way into the left side of the element. For a moment, Miles experienced the sinking feeling of a complete loss of control. There had been no time for him to react or tried to even avoid the collision. The other car had simply come in way too fast. Through the windshield of the Celica, Miles could see five teenagers. Two young boys up front and three girls in the back, each frantically trying to hide their beer and weed. At least they appear unharmed, he thought. In his rear mirror, he could see the crowd at the parking at the park, pointing to the element and a cop running in his direction. Miles shifted into reverse, slammed the accelerator to the floor, and felt the element pull itself free from the car that had been adhered to it only seconds before. Then he shifted into drive, and the tires made a howling squeal as he once again depressed the gas pedal as far as it would go. The car carrying the juvenile delinquents became smaller and smaller in his rearview mirror until it, appeared, uh, until it disappeared when Miles rounded the corner. He had one goal in his mind, find a safe spot to dump the element. The thunderous crash of the two cars at the parking lot entrance was loud enough to quiet the crowd that had encircled Kenny and Leonard before they had even got out of the car. One of the witnesses shouted and pointed to the, US, to the SUV that had been involved. Frenzied voices yelled that the man they had seen with the blood on his clothes was in the Honda. Kenny took off running as soon as the element slammed and reversed to make its getaway. Leonard, on the other hand, turned back towards the car. He whipped the car around as he called in the element's description. When he reached his partner, Kenny grabbed the door handle and he let himself in. 
as if jumping into a moving vehicle was something he did on a regular basis. By the time they reached the exit to the park, there was not a Honda element to be seen in either direction. The SUV went right, Kenny said frantically. Turn right. Leonard depressed the accelerator to the floor. Both men sat in silence as the engine roared. While Leonard was still processing what had just happened, a call came in from the dispatcher. A body had been found in the woods at the park. There was a note shoved in its mouth. Did we just miss our chance? Kenny asked to no one in particular. He knew that once the element made its way around the corner, it could have turned off on any number of roads. The two men looked at each other with the realization that now they had two bodies that needed to be processed. Leonard took the car back around and reluctantly headed back. Chapter 13. The normally peaceful path leading to the park's south parking lot now looked like a scene from CSI. From the yellow tape that encircled the entire area to the John Grisham wannabes who were seemingly everywhere, there was an excitement in the air that one could almost taste. For the first time in the case, there was a real chance for hard evidence, and as the lead investigators, Kenny and Leonard were going to make sure not one thing was missed. As there was hope that they would find crucial evidentiary DNA at the scene. They shared an unspoken enthusiasm that their man had made a critical error. They saw to it that the scene was secured and processed to everyone's satisfaction. Kenny worked with the crime scene techs as they gathered footprint and bike tire moles, blood samples, and debris. It appeared that the body had been dragged approximately 23 feet from where it had, been, where it had hit the ground, so a team of three was concentrating only on those important 276 inches. The medical examiner tended to the body, while Leonard talked to witnesses to get as many details as possible about the man in the SUV. Despite the hope for DNA, Leonard was old school, and for him, nothing worked like a composite drawing of the murderer on the local evening news. Miles knew he had only a matter of minutes to dump the car, and with the police on what appeared to be every corner, it seemed that getting rid of the vehicle was going to be a difficult task. He pulled into the first parking lot he came to, which was located behind one of the college dorms and parked between two small sports cars that he guessed belonged to students. As Miles retrieved the bike from the back of the element, he noticed a gym bag lying in the back seat. Curiosity forced him to take the time to unzip the bag and check out its contents. He found condoms, a webcam, some cheap liquor, and a laptop that Miles had requested and bring. He had assumed the laptop was in the duffel bag he had taken from the scene and began to consider the jeopardy his mission would be in if he had not checked out this bag. Digging deeper, he found duct tape, four medium-length pieces of rope, a switchblade knife, and two mini bottles of Southern Comfort. Miles was torn apart inside by the sight of these implements of molestation. While wiping down everything he touched, he realized it may not be enough, that he could easily overlook something in his haste. So, using the cigarette lighter... He set a small fire inside the element, igniting bits of paper from the glove box and the center console, which he doused with the liquor. Mile realized that there was a good chance video cameras had picked him up in his efforts to destroy any evidence of himself from the vehicle, and knew he would have to make some hard decisions over the next few hours. Did he have the resolve to continue? Chapter 14. As hard as it was for him to get any kind of satisfaction from it, Kenny was fully aware that the events of the past few hours had brought them a break in the case, and things might have gotten much differently had he not followed his hunch about checking things out in the park. 
Leonard had taken the most recent call from their superior. He had handled it well, not making any promises to the man who was emotionally tied to the case. He tried to sound upbeat, yet realistic, but knew that the captain only wanted to hear that they had found the killer like an hour ago. Kenny was impressed with his partner, but would not tell him so. He had not gotten a complete read on the man with whom he had been thrown into spending so much quality time. There was something he wasn't able to put his finger on about the man. It wasn't that he didn't trust Leonard, because he did, but he didn't feel that something was a bit off with him. Kenny and Leonard knew they had done all they could do on the scene. As expected, everyone knew their responsibilities and was doing them methodically. There was no need to micromanage the situation. The note in the victim's mouth was the only clue that linked the murder to the previous crimes, and everyone was working under the assumption it was their man. Our man is getting more confident in his abilities, I do believe, Leonard stated as the two men walked around the parking lot one last time before leaving. It was as if they were waiting for something to happen so they would know where to go next with the case. Until the witnesses could get the sketch artist a valid description and the test results started coming back in from the crime scene, they really had no leads to follow. He went crazy with that knife. It didn't take all those stab wounds to kill the Vic. Was the bike his initial getaway plan? Kenny brainstormed out loud. Unless he lives close, he continued, there's no way he would trust his getaway ride to a bike. Would he? And if that's the case, was the SUV he was driving his or his first opportunity for a getaway? If the latter, then his car must be close. And his car equals identity. Leonard turned and walked back to the remaining officers who were in the process of leaving. Kenny followed him and heard Leonard giving the men instructions. There's a small chance the man we're looking for was driving a stolen vehicle, and that his own car is still parked somewhere in the area, gentlemen, Leonard informed them. He will want to get to it and get out of here as fast as he can, Leonard said. He undoubtedly knows we're hunting for a white Honda Element and is probably desperate enough to do anything to get away. So I need everyone to split up, hit the parking lots and side streets, calling each and every plate number. At this time of day, the number should be manageable. We'll call dispatch and tell them to prepare for the incoming calls. If you see anything you think may be related to the case, don't hesitate to make the call. Leonard checked with his partner to see if there was anything to add and saw Kenny was already making the phone call to dispatch. He continued, any questions? Good. Let's make this happen as quickly as possible. My guess is our Vic is making his way back to his car right now. Stop anyone who is a close match to the description we have. Just to make sure we're clear, white male, roughly 5'11", 200 pounds, to about 220, brownish blonde hair. Before he could ask again if anyone had any questions and dismiss the officers, Kenny was back at his side. While I was on the phone with dispatch, they received a call from the South Durham Dorm Security. Kenny said, there's a Honda Element on fire in their parking lot. The pair immediately headed to their car. I've got a good feeling about this, Leonard said. There's a chance he torched his own wheels, but we could be able to trace it anyway. And I'm guessing he knows that. So the more I think about it, there's no way our guy trusted this escape solely to that bike he was riding at the park. He knows he's got to get to his car before we do. But we can't let that happen, Leonard thought as he drifted off. But he was excited by the new reality that they may have a chance to catch this guy. The car tipped up on two wheels as Leonard took the corner just a hair too fast. I can't lie. This is energizing, he thought. Chapter 15. 
With each step he took towards his car, the pain intensified with the realization of the truth. If they find the car, the mission is over. If they find the car, they find me. How far, he wondered, could a man with his abilities, means, and common sense get before he was captured? If they found his car, his registration, his fingerprints, and DNA, would he run? Where would he go? The question scrolled by in his mind, like the ticker at the bottom of the screen on CNN. But no answers followed. If he could just get to his car undetected, he would not have to worry about it. He had turned his shirt inside out, and with the sun going down, he felt pretty sure no one would be able to pick out the bloodstains. But if he was stopped for any reason, that would be a different story. At least he had gotten to the predator, and no matter the outcome, he had no regrets about that. It had been harder this time, though. Miles tried his best to walk with purpose without looking out of place, not too fast or too slow, as he made his way down the sidewalk toward the basketball courts where his car was awaiting his return. With each passing second, he wanted desperately to be behind the steering wheel with the park in his rearview mirror headed towards the security of his home. This had taken more of a toll than he could have imagined. He knew the man he had just sent to hell died from the second or third jab with the knife, but he could not stop himself from completely bludgeoning the man. Now he feared that the mental snapshots of his deed would haunt him forever and that the extra time he had spent taking out his fury on Yankee Fan 7667 would be his downfall. Furthermore, the bike created a problem for Miles as he left the scene of the fire. He knew he could not leave it behind for the same reason he couldn't leave it in the woods. But now, he could not be seen with the bike in the public. So forcing himself to turn right onto a side street away from the car that would lead him out of this mess, Miles searched for a spot to dump another piece of evidence. Two dorms over, he found at least a dozen bikes chained to a steel parking rack. He could not imagine anyone spotting his bike without him on it and being able to determine that it was his. Nonetheless, nothing special about his bike stood out from the others. Taking yet another chance, he chained the bike to the rack and did not look back. As he rounded the last corner before reaching his car, it appeared the police were doing a good job of tracking him down. Forcing himself to slow down to evaluate the situation, he saw two men, one on each side of the street, both wearing suits, making their way towards the middle, which would be right in front of Miles' vehicle. Were these the two men in suits whom he had seen in the parking lot just a little while ago? Was one of them the young hotshot who had been brought in to solve these crimes? Had he been the one to start the car search? What was his name? Kenny something. While trying to decide what to do next, Miles heard voices behind him and turned to see three college students um, working their way in his general direction. Suddenly, an idea came to him. Hey guys, who wants to make some easy cash? Miles explained the proposal to the three young people who appeared eager to get some party money. I just need you to take these keys, walk over to that Chevy, and drive it over here to the parking lot just up the street. When you get there, I'll give you 50 bucks, and you can continue on your merry way. Make it 60, the pretty brunette spat out with confidence. She was attractive in a loose and wild way, Miles decided. It was clear that she was the leader of this little band of friends. He flashed them the money and turned to walk back up the street. He wanted to put as much distance as possible between him and the car, just in case something went awry. He turned his head back to check on the kids. With some satisfaction, he saw them laughing and talking as they approached his car. He was going to outsmart the police.